Warhammer fantasy news, hobby, lore, and more. Welcome to the War Games Orchard with Nathan and GJ. Starting with a clever tagline. No, that's too much preparation for today. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show, it's GJ today, and I'm going to do something a little bit different. Well, not totally different, I've done this one be once before. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to chat a little bit whilst I am hobbying. And the reason for that is that I didn't really know what to talk about. Uh, both Nathan and I have been lamenting that we did not keep track of the episodes we've already done. So every time I have a great idea, I think, has this been done on the show before or not? And the, the latest one of those ideas was uh, to do an episode about squigs. I've gotten out some squigs. I'll tell a little bit about that in a, in a minute. And then I've remembered, well, I think Nathan already did an episode on squigs a while back. Uh, which he did indeed. I thought at first it was only the 40k squigs, but then it's also all the way into fantasy with the squig herds and the squig hoppers. So, yeah, that was not really uh, something that I should then do over. Um, there will probably come a point where well, one of us will have to make a list of all the topics that we've already discussed in these past um, uh, around 120 episodes but before we do that I will probably um, have some other things that I want to talk about I will probably see if I can get around that and, and, and discuss some things that uh, I am sure we have not had on the show before uh, I also already remembered well it's it's Wednesday at the moment I've been rather busy this uh, past week uh, these past weeks not just with hobby stuff but also with real life stuff uh, sometimes life gets in the way of hobby stuff we all know that so uh, that's why this episode is running a little bit late and since I did not have time to prepare for something I thought let's do a hobby chat episode where I'm going to focus on a couple of things that have either helped me or hindered me when doing hobby stuff. And I, I don't know yet where this is going to take me. I, like I said, I didn't really prepare any of this. So uh, let's just see where it goes. However, before we do that, let's look at a little bit of news. We've had some new releases announced at the Las Vegas Open last week. A new slan with some new lizardmen. They call them Seraphon nowadays, but well, they are just all lizardmen. The new slan, he looks uh, pretty decent actually. He he has that look and feel of the old slan. He's got the scepter above his head that the 5th edition uh, slan mage priests also had. He's got a throne that's levitating in the same way as the new Lord Croak is doing, except not with the rings of stone around it. This is just a throne with some, some horns. Uh, it looks 
rather a lot like the one that we had in 6th edition. You can uh, see where they got their inspiration for this. It is a little bit more detailed. The throne is not standing, I think, on a flyer stand, but is being held up by the vines that are um, dripping down from the throne itself. I think it might be a little bit difficult to assemble. Most of these new kits are, uh, because those vines, they do look very fiddly and if you slice through them then they will probably lose a little bit of structural integrity and gluing them might help it again but yeah i don't know yet it's uh it's it's a nice model it's got a lot of nice detail on it definitely one that you could use in a fantasy just from the looks of it it's standing on a base on a round base and i can't really tell what the size of that base is so you might have to trim it down a little bit in order to get it on a 50 by 50 square base for fantasy um, the throne itself will then probably be overhanging but if you put it in a unit of Soros warriors i think the throne will be far enough off of the ground that you can use it no problem and the base itself, it consists of some uh, jungle vegetation, there's a fallen log, there's a, uh, a little bit of a, an overgrown statuette there. So I think you can probably get away with it if you manage to put it on a 50mm square base. Unless this kit is uh, so enormously huge that, um, we, well, that you probably can't do it. Uh, there are a few different options with this kit. They have some images of uh, a different assembly that you can do. There's a slan that's got a different totem in his hand. He's got a feather throne, uh, no feather, a feather crown on his head. Um, the throne looks the same. There's a skink with a javelin and a shield or spear and a shield. Um, they will probably also have some rules for that as well. Now, going further down the article, we get some new skinks on... These are not cold ones, but these are called Raptodons. Uh, Raptodons, they are basically what most uh, paleontologists today think Velociraptors look like. Um, Velociraptors in Jurassic Park, they were all scaly. Nowadays, uh, they are feathery. Uh, there have been some, some indications that uh, raptors may have had feathers. Um, these are based off of that idea. Uh, apart from the feathers that are on their arms and on the tail, they also have a very prominent crest. I don't think any Velociraptors had that, at least not to my knowledge. But then again, the Lizardman uh, dinosaurs are not real dinosaurs. So you can go any way you want with that. This will probably be a kit of five models i guess because they give you the option to have a standard bearer a musician a horn blower 
and uh, what I think will also be a champion. You've got the skinks on here with with spears and or javelins, and uh, they have also shields. Yeah, this will will get you some nice miniatures if you did not get to manage to get your hands on the fifth edition skinks on cold ones. I think you can use these as proxies for uh, Tichi Witchy's Raiders or if you want them as proxies for the regular 5th edition Skinks on Cold Ones. I know they are one of Nathan's favorite units. He's done a video on them lamenting about the fact that the Cold One has Toughness 4 but the model still dies when the Toughness 2 Skink gets a wound. These Raptors uh, will also have a character model maybe it's an it's an option that's in the kit i'm not sure yet uh, there have there are one or two images now i think it's it's the same image uh, twice here where you have a skink on uh, one of these thingies with a what looks to be a staff i'm not sure if this is supposed to be a skink priest or not i'm currently not aware of any um, any of the rules for skink priests, I think they are not allowed to ride on a cold one in 5th edition, but I might be mistaken on that, I would have to look that up. Uh, if you can manage that, then you will probably get a nice skink on cold one here that you can you can use for, in, for your games. Um, and even if you are going to use him not as a wizard but as a character, I know that there are skin characters that can be on cold ones, uh, your regular fighting heroes that is. There is one called, oh I'm always getting those names mid up, mixed up, I think it's it's it's, it's Itsy Witsy or Inksy Winksy or something like that. Uh, one of those skink special characters is riding a cold one. Um, You'll probably get mad at me for, for messing this up if you are a Lizardman player who knows the correct name and pronunciation of this character. But it was, it's one of those. I know it's not Oxayotl, he's the Chameleon Skink, and I know it's not Teeny Weeny. So then I guess uh, Itsy Bitsy or Inksy Winksy or something like that remains. Further down the article, we get some new Saurus Warriors. And when I first saw these images, I thought they were going to be Croxigor because they looked so bulky. I know they, a lot of the critique of the 5th edition, uh, no sorry, not the 5th edition, the 6th edition plastic Saurus Warriors, the ones that have, have been in use until very recently. Uh, maybe they are still even for sale on the website, but these are rather scrawny, um, a little bit too... Uh, too thin, I think, for what they were. The 5th edition Source Warriors, the plastic ones you got in the starter set, those had some some abs. Uh, you could uh, see that this was a strong warrior. And then they got a little bit thin and scrawny in 6th edition, and they remained that. And now they've gone back all the way the other way, uh, making them... I, I might even say a little bit too beefy. Uh, these are Soros warriors that have been spending some serious time at the gym. 
they still have that same aesthetic. Uh, it's a little bit different, but you definitely get that 6th edition fantasy aesthetic there with those um, club-like swords with the spikes protruding from them. Uh, they, they also had that in, um, in the Hero Hammer era. Uh, not ex those exact clubs, but more... Uh, primitive weapons, not swords. They they had some axes. They had some uh, clubs with uh, teeth or nails or something like that in them. They've got shields. The shields look rather new. Um, the six edition Soros shields were mostly sort of crescent shaped and uh, covered with with scales. And in 5th edition, you had those round shields with a sort of spiderweb motif on it. But these shields, they look round, but there's a spike protruding from them. So it looks a bit like an apostrophe. And uh, they are painted in, as gold and, and obsidian or something like that, or onyx, uh, uh, gold and black. The sources themselves are painted blue here. They are staying with that blue motif. Although further down the page, there's also a, a green painted Saurus. It appears that this kit gives you some options. You can have them with those club-like swords and you can have them with spears, I guess. Um, we don't see too many things yet. There is a command here, uh, the option for command. I'm guessing these will be 10 in a box, maybe a little bit more if they are made for Age of Sigma. I think most of those Age of Sigma models nowadays come with uh, in boxes of 10. And what you also have here is the option to make these Source Warriors ethereal. There is a going to be a new type of, of Source. Uh, they say here almost all Seraphon come in two varieties. The Flesh and Blood Coalesced. And the phantasmal starborn and you can uh, I, I think no at first I thought that these were um, these were different options in the kit but now that I read this and now that I look at this I think that it's just the way that they are painted you can just paint them like that and they do give you a little bit of a wink there we're saying that we painted one of these source warriors green and that does make you look uh, make it look very nostalgic because yeah that's what they were in in 5th edition when those source warrior models first dropped uh, most of the sources were painted green although the army book said you can paint them in any color and all the different marks of the source warriors will also be represented by different colors the different uh well, they're not called marks, but I can't remember the name right now. It's those uh, uh, sacred spawnings. That's the name that I was looking for. So, yeah, we have that. And we also have a an announcement that the new Age of Sigmar uh, squigs and, and beastmen are now up for pre-order. The um, beastmen... You can get a Beastman Horde with a Shaman, uh, a whole bunch of Gores. I'm pretty sure that these are 
not really new. These are still the ones that have been around. I don't think the gores have been have been getting new models. There are some dragon ogres in that kit as well. You can pre-order them. Uh, there's a new beast lord model out there with the two axes, the one that resembles uh, Fulton a little bit in his pose, and we also get the new gloom spite gids battle tome, uh, the night goblins basically, and they give you the option to order a night goblin set, a uh, vanguard army with a goblin boss. Uh, some of these plastic goblins that have been around since at least 8th edition, maybe even 7th edition. There are uh, some squick hoppers in there. And then of course the new bulky stone trolls. Speaking of squigs, I have some squigs sitting on my desk here. Oh, we also get, by the way, these new... Uh, wolf riders that we talked about a little bit earlier you can also order them now in, uh, in a box of five so uh, if you are looking for wolf riders you can get that and there's also a uh, just for completeness sake a night goblin character uh, with an armored faceplate and he's got a squig with him on a leash that's also got an armored um, plate over his his head, although I'm not sure how that would work because squigs are pretty round and I think every any type of armor you put on them um, will just slide off, but well, it's, it's a nice looking model. Uh, if, you, if you are looking for a new Night Goblin boss or maybe even something that you can convert to, uh, to Skarsnik, you have to take off the top of the it's sort of like a like a bishop's staff if, if that's saying you something it's it's got a it's a staff with a a loop on it like a sickle uh, but a little bit further a little, little bit more curled and if you take that off and you put a uh, a trident on it or you make a trident with with spearheads or something then you could probably use this model as a skarsnik and gobbler uh, stand in if you are looking for one of those. Right, uh, enough about the news and uh, well, not the hobby, of course, because all we're going to talk about today is hobby. But enough about the news. Uh, I'm I'm very happy, by the way, to see that we do get those miniatures and that they seem to be made with. At least the option to also use them in fantasy in mind. Uh, I think we are we are seeing more and more of these models that are moving away from that typical Age of Sigmar only aesthetic, like the big centerpiece models, the the uh, Ariel on her uh, giant beetle. Um, What's he, Teclis uh, flying over his base on the Sphinx, something like that. Uh, I think these models that we see now are, are definitely made with keeping in mind that, that there will be a new Warhammer Fantasy version out there in a little while. Hopefully a little while, probably a longer while. And these models can then be used in either game. 
I think they've already started that process because you've also had those um, those chaos nights that people have been lining up on uh, square bases, uh, rectangular bases, on cavalry bases. Uh, so yeah, I think m many of these models have been made with that purpose in mind. So uh, yeah, that's uh, definitely a good thing, definitely something that I'm happy about. And even if these models are not going to be able to be used in Warhammer Fantasy, then uh, in, in, in the new uh, Warhammer the Old World, then at least you can use them for Warhammer Fantasy if you are still playing the old editions, uh, which if you are not, you probably should, or at least give them a try. I'm currently working, like I alluded to, on some squigs. I have uh, well, still got a lot of beastmen to paint up as well. Uh, this is the uh, very first day of February, and the January um, challenge, January Call of the Crown challenge, has uh, finished. I still need to to get all the results in, uh, or at least most of the results. I do keep keep a little bit of a uh, document that throughout the month I put the entries that have been finished so far. I put them in that document, but I still need to uh, get the rest of them in there, and then uh, I'm, I'm also going to give people a couple of more days to do that. Uh, I'm also going to, uh, in a little while after this recording session, I'm going to put up a poll for the War Games Orchard Paint Challenge. It's something that should have been mentioned with news. I've got a new paint challenge up for uh, February. That's going to be Fever Dreams, because February is a month that's synonymous with fever and, and illness. So I'm curious to see what people are going to do with that. We have, I think, about four entries for the January Paint Challenge, the January Orchard Paint Challenge. The theme was uh, January Blues, and uh, I know there are some blue horrors. I should probably look this up while I'm talking uh, so, so that I can get everybody uh, give everybody a shout-out here. Oh yeah, and I also said that I was going to do that anyway with what's been happening on the Facebook group. So let's get to that in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, in February I've also planned a couple of games. Two of these, uh, two games that I've planned. Uh, these two, uh, uh, probably going to be three games against two opponents. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I am meeting a person I haven't uh, had the chance to play yet. Somebody I met through Facebook. And he is living about 40 minutes away from me. Uh, he's got a dwarf army and he asked if I wanted to bring a, an orcs and goblins army. Which is why I'm doing some squigs now. I have... Uh, a very modest squig herd or consisting of six squigs and four night goblins um, but they usually don't do that much so I thought if I want to do this I will probably need to have a bigger squig herd I had a lot of these metal squigs and squig hoppers lying around and I've also got the plastic set of the squigs um, that I got for 
for my birthday and Christmas, uh, the uh, the new Night Goblin Squigs. And I'm going to leave those in the box for a little bit, but I am I have at the, uh, at the moment in front of me here all those Metal Squigs and Squig Herders and Squig Hoppers. I'm not really sure how many there are, but I think there's about uh, 20 to 30 models here, which should be more than enough to make a Squig Herd out of in a 6th uh, edition 2000 points army. I'm not sure yet how big it will be. I'm just going to uh, see um, see what will happen. And let's see, I've got a Facebook page here in front of me. Oh, and the, the other battle I'm going to do is against uh, Emil, a, uh, a big friend of the show. Uh, we're going to do some 5th edition and the uh, armies we're going to play, or at least I'm going to play uh, Tomb Kings and I do also want to make a 5th edition Chaos Army. I'm not sure yet if I want to make it Beastmen Heavy or Chaos Mortals Heavy. Uh, so in 5th edition if you choose a Chaos Army, you choose a Warband and the type of Warband you choose, Mortals, Beasts or Demons, that has to be uh, 75 points, 75% uh, of your army has to be from that Warband. Now you can have 25% either allies from different armies depending on who your general is, allies from the other Chaos factions. Uh, so if you have a mortal general you can ally in some beasts. There are also some generic beasts and monsters that you can ally in such as uh, chaos spawns and uh, a couple of more also the, uh, the the bigger monsters from the army books themselves. Uh, the, no not the army books the, the battle book the fifth edition uh, battle book that is. So uh, that's going to be or what I'm going to do. So that's also why I have not only some squigs here lined up, but I've also got the uh, four different chaos lords that you that were made to order a little while ago. Um, these are the same four that are featured in the Storm of Chaos book. There they have names. They are given the names of special characters that are. Uh, they don't have rules, but they are the four leaders of the four different factions of Archaeon's Horde, with Archaeon himself being the fifth leader, maybe Krom even was the fifth leader, I don't remember. We, well, you have to listen back to the Storm of Chaos episode. Uh, a lot of this stuff drops from my mind the moment I've, um, I've talked about it, and that's also fun because then every time I read it again, it's like, oh, right, this is, uh, this is all new. So... Facebook, we have the Warhammer Orchard Facebook group and the entries in our January paint challenge are the following. Jake Rustjack, and I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Jake. He's got a couple of um, blue horrors. Uh, he's got, well, I'm saying a couple, but he's got a picture there of a whole unit of blue horrors. Uh, there seem to be, let me see, 3, 6, 8, 24 of them painted in a very bright blue, uh, highlighted up to white, very well done. And uh, Jake has also given us a background story to go with them. Uh, Bruce Sigrist, who is a regular contestant, he has a 
very nice very well painted dwarf slayer there graphic and graphic has uh, a tail which quickly scanning it uh, which has to do with blueberries that's the uh, the entry for the january blues there then you also have my own entry uh, the blue brothers to zombie pirates that are based very much off of the uh, blues brothers uh, the movies and uh, uh, the songs therein the way that they are painted I, I it's just a very quick contrast paint job with mostly black clothes and i try to get their skin a blue hue but that's uh, not really what uh, stands out in the picture so i i hope the uh, uh the message comes across and the fourth one is uh Jorn, Jorn Huntler, who also has is a regular contestant He's got a wood elf war dancer who is nicknamed the Blue Swan. You can find these entries in the War Games Orchard Facebook group. There you will also find the uh, new paint challenge and all the details that you need. Going a little bit further down, uh, we have a post by uh, our good friend Scott. Scott has played a fir his first game of 5th edition since the year 2000. He and Jesse Walker, uh, also a regular here, they have played a game High Elves vs Undead. Um, there's some very nice pictures on there, it looks, uh, looks really great. Uh, go check it out. It's 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 not really a big battle report, but uh, yeah, it does look like a fun game. And uh, Scott, after this battle set, I'm even going to consider putting the fifth edition magic system, giving it a place in the Orchard edition. So I'm curious to see how that will go. Thomas Woods, a uh, regular poster has gotten a picture of a very nice marauder giant there um, the marauder giant is is dressed with uh, all kinds of bright colors and he's made some very good use of black lining there there's even an allusion to the american flag i think in the uh, as part of his clothes so i'm not sure how many of those uh, of our regular listeners who are Americans, how they will feel about that. Um, but yeah, that's uh, there are some nice miniatures out there. And uh, like I said, I should also put some of my own stuff there. But I'm very, very bad at keeping track of all the different social media channels and outlets and posting my own things. I'm, I'm much more of a lurker than a poster, which is um, probably not something that I should be doing in... Uh, in, in my position that I have now as a co-host of this podcast but well uh, we'll just see how it goes in the future I just saw that I've already been talking for about half an hour and we haven't even really touched upon what I was going to talk about uh, hobby stuff so one of the things that I've learned over the years is that you you really shouldn't try to reinvent the wheel and what I mean by that is a lot of this stuff in the hobby has already been done by other people 
Uh, a lot of the mistakes have already been made and you can learn from those mistakes. You can also learn from your own mistakes. It's good to learn from your mistakes, but you will probably not have enough time in your life to make all the mistakes that you need to make to learn from them. So it's also good to learn from other people's mistakes. So here are a few of the mistakes that I have made in the past that you can learn from and some of these mistakes I'm still making today. And one of the big ones is that I am, uh, when assembling the model, I'm not very, uh, very meticulous. And what I mean by that is that I sometimes uh, miss things like, now, for example, with these metal squigs, I miss those little um, uh, metal... What are they? Like, like the little rods that stick out from the, the pointy ends of the Night Goblin shoes and stuff like that. Uh, some of these are bent over backwards and then you have to uh, get them off and remove them. I sometimes miss those and uh, not in the sense that I I want them to be there but they're not. But I, I miss them in the, in the sense that I don't spot them in time and then the model is undercoated and then I start painting and I see that and then I have to uh, take it off and then remove it and then start uh, do the undercoat for that bit again. And the same is true with mold lines. I am terrible at removing mold lines. It's just something that's not in my system, you might say. Uh, and even if I do that, then I will still miss these or I won't see them until I am starting to paint them and I see that the, the paint will leave a little bit of contrast there. So those are a couple of things that I know I have to be on the lookout for, uh, but I'm just not or not often enough. And it really pays off to, to do these things because it's... Uh, something that it, you you don't immediately see the result but you will see it if you don't do it if you if you know what i mean uh, the same goes with uh, stripping models i've uh, got a couple of these night goblins and these squigs that have that had a paint job on them and upon stripping i found out that they had multiple paint jobs on them i think one of these squigs had have been had been at least uh, three or four colors in the past, ranging from, from purple to red to pink, um, maybe some blue in there as well. It's just the different layers of, of paint uh, all on top of each other. And there's still something that I have to try out, which is BioStrip. Um, I, I, every time I toss my stuff in the stripper fluid, I think I should get that BioStrip. Uh, Emil has been talking about it to me and... He said it was uh, basically the best thing since sliced bread. However, I haven't tried it out yet. And uh, what happens when I take my, my miniatures out of the stripper fluid is that in the recesses there will almost always still be paint residue. I have to take that out. I've got this uh, needle-shaped sculpting tool that is ideal for doing that. Uh, I'm not very good at sculpting anyway, so I probably 
not that big of a loss for me abusing this tool for that and I do need to get some more sculpting tools anyway I want to get a couple of those uh, rubber pointed ones because I do want to try sculpting a little bit more uh, another thing another mistake is uh, waste I don't really like waste I like to use as much stuff as possible and of course if you have a, a regiment of say night goblins and you assemble them to be with spears then you are of course not going to use the bows but uh, from the very start of Warhammer I always kept all the bits just in case I needed them for something and quite often you do because especially nowadays when a lot of the models you buy are second hand and they have their there uh, they have been damaged or you need to repair them uh, somehow then it's good to have some bits handy i had for example a uh, gorthor the beast lord that was without a chariot without his back banner and without his uh, his spear arm just the torso and the head and i'm going to use him as a beast lord on foot uh, when gorthor has been tossed out of his chariot for some reason. I can use the uh, the unmounted version. And what I did was I just got a uh, a beastman hand that I had left over, one of those uh, gore weapon hands, and I cut off the weapon. I put on a banner pole. I put on a a bit of a sword. And now it looks almost like the spear that he has. It is not as detailed. I probably need to green stuff a little bit on it there as well to uh, to make it resemble the spear even more. But for a for a first attempt, uh, that wasn't bad. And what I also did was the missing back banner. Uh, there's, a, there's an indentation there in his cloak, in the folds of his cloak. The um, the banner folds, uh, the cloak folds around the, the base of the banner. And what I did was I had just used a little bit of green stuff to uh, fill up that hole and, and used the uh, sculpting tools to, to give it a little bit of a rough shape to match the fur, that, uh, fur of the cloak. So now it's just a cloak with some folds hanging down. Uh, maybe he just lost his back banner falling off his chariot or something like that. Uh, I don't think it's it's that big of a deal that the banner is missing. A lot of these back banners are missing. I do like to have, have them complete, but uh, that's only on the, on the model that is actually complete. And since this one was already incomplete, I really don't mind having to to do something like that uh, I've also got a, um, a model of Kazark the One-Eye that's missing a sword and I'm going to do him as a uh, Slanesh Beast Lord uh, well because he has a whip and I think whips are a very Slaneshy weapon so I'm going to paint him up in a Slanesh way um, whenever I get around to it. Speaking of green stuff, one of the things I also do is I have a 
a side project on hand. Uh, I, I have many side projects, but one of them is a side project that I can use my excess green stuff on. And this is a project that I've started a while ago. Uh, this is going to be a Chaos Giant, the Chaos Siege Giant that you get in the 8th edition. Ooh, let me think real quick. Uh, is it uh, the Monsters Arcanum or Storm of Magic? Maybe, maybe both. You, you get a Chaos Siege Giant in, in either or both of those books. And uh, the model is, of course, no longer available. And I already have several giants that I can use. I had some stuff left over from the plastic giant kit that came out in 7th edition. Some, uh, some hooves and a head. And I basically made a frame with uh, uh, wire, copper wire, and the, the electricity kind of wire that I had left over. And then I made a, uh, I, I clad it with uh, aluminum foil and squeezed that down really tight. And then I started lumping on all of the excess stuff that I had, like uh, green stuff and milliput. Whenever I made too much, I use a little bit to get it to, uh, uh, yeah, just to stick it on there so that I can make good use of my leftovers. There are some limitations to that, of course, because at some point you don't want to. Uh, you need bigger, bigger areas that you need to do all at once. So what I did was I gave him trousers that are a patchwork of different kinds of clothes. So every time I had a little bit of green stuff to spare, I could simply put it onto the legs of the giant. And it didn't matter how big or how small it was. I just put some some straight lines uh, next to it so that it, uh, it resembled a piece of clothing. I put some uh, some tiny holes in it to resemble the uh, threads keeping it together all night nicely stitched together. And uh, every time I have a little bit of green stuff left over I can use it over there. And then I got to the uh, the, the belly and the chest area and the arms and those are going to be bare so I have to use bigger pieces of green stuff there to to do that uh, and I need, still need to, to think of something that I'm going to use for the weapon uh, he's got these uh, I don't even know what he has I, I think he has those, those blades or something like that that you get, uh, they, they look a little bit like the blades on a on a Saigor or a Gorgon, uh, one of those two, the Gorgon I think it is. And he's got those arms ending in, in these big sharp horns or blades. However, with the KLC giant, those blades have been uh, attached to him, his hands have been cut off and the blades are, are on there. So I'm going to make something like that and then, then those blades, I, next time I have a strip of green stuff left over, I can make it into a, a sort of a, a, a strip or a bandage-like thing that goes around both the weapon and the wrist so that it's, uh, it's stuck there and I can use some stuff to make, uh, to make belts and different ornaments, uh, stuff like that. 
So yeah, that's uh, that's that's also one of the things that I do with uh, leftover green stuff. If you don't have a bigger project like that, you can also roll it into a ball or a brick or a rock-like shape, let it dry out, and use it as decoration on a base. So you don't have to throw it away. Um, and even if you do throw it away, green stuff is not that expensive compared to the miniatures that we are all buying. So you will probably, um, if, if you are a little less uh, waste-minded than I am, uh, nothing wrong with that, then and this is probably not your thing, then you will probably just uh, toss it out and uh, uh, get a new strip whenever it's done. One of the uh, main parts about the hobby, uh, for me at least, the reason why I build all these miniatures, is uh, to play with them. And when, when, when making my armies, I always do something that's along the line of which type of units do I want to play? And I usually don't think of, oh, this is going to be good. I, I do try to be a little bit competitive. But I'm not that well versed into what's good and what's not good. So I know that I have to use, uh, for example, in the 6th edition army, I have to use at least two core units. I have to use uh, at least one character. And what I usually do is I start with the stuff that I want to have in there. So... One of the first things I usually decide is do I want to go magic heavy or do I want to go combat heavy? And uh, that will determine the choice of my lord. So for example, what I'm going to do with my 6th edition army, I'm going to fight against dwarves. Uh, dwarves are rather resistant to magic, so there's no real sense in doing... Uh, a lot of magic there. I do want to have some magic in there, a little bit more than my opponent will probably have, so I do want to take probably two shamans, and I might uh, might even go three, like an orc shaman and two goblin shamans, something like that. But I do want my main character to be a fighting character, because I do expect my orcs to get into combat, and orc magic is just not going to be enough to uh, to beat dwarves all by itself, I think. So I do want to make a fighting character and usually my um, my heart goes out to a, a black orc. Uh, I love black orcs, they're the biggest, the best. Uh, however, if I take a black orc warlord then I'm also going to eat up one of my hero slots. So that would mean one less character there. And there might also be a... Um, a something that I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence about is uh, whether or not to use a, a battle standard bearer. Because I do think that in combat the orcs will need all the help that they can get. So what I probably will do is I will get an orc war boss. 
I will get a uh, an orc shaman and a night goblin shaman, and maybe another night goblin shaman. And if not a second night goblin shaman, then I will probably use a battle standard bearer. Then I will go to um, my 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 special and my rare units. And I've already decided that I wanted to bring a giant because I love giants. I love the way that they basically do whatever they want and uh, it's also very scary for an opponent even though giants don't have an armor save you just need to overcome that toughness five six wounds uh, but if you can do that then you will have uh, beaten the giant and he will fall down before something happens a single cannon shot can take out a giant but any cannon shot taking out a giant is a cannon shot not hitting your uh, your general units or making your uh, uh, taking out your wizard or something like that so even for the for the, the, the distraction value uh, a giant is probably worth it dwarves are an army that are very slow so I need to get there fast I don't have too much cavalry painted. I do have some wolf riders and I plan on taking a couple of units of wolf riders, just a few small units for war machine hunting. But a a full cavalry army with boar boys and savage orc boar boys, I think that's something that would be better. However, I, I just can't feel that. So I'm going with some slower units, some more infantry, also some bigger units. I will of course have night goblins uh, which will have fanatics and I do also want to really try out a squig herd and see what happens there. Uh, those two strength 5 hits, uh, two strength 5 attacks that a squig can deal out is uh, not to be sneezed at and, and orcs don't really have that many very hard hitting things that can crunch through a uh, dwarf armor so yeah i'm going to uh, use the the night goblins as a first line of attack sending in the squeaks and the fanatics i'll probably take a single unit of night goblins uh, with uh, with spears uh, a big one of 30 or 40 and uh, three fanatics in there and then i'll have a second wave of orcs uh, that will be there to finish the job although probably the orcs will be already dead before they arrive there I'm not sure yet if I'm going to take uh, black orcs uh, probably will take a unit of black orcs I might also see if I can get some orcs and some big ones but in 6th edition you have to have at least as many regular orcs as you have big ones uh, so yeah big ones are they are a lot better and I, I, I love them. Uh, I think those models that you got with the 6th edition starter set, uh, those are great for for biggins. They are, uh, they got additional hand weapons and two weapon skill, four strength, four attacks. Um, that's... Very, I think it's rather rather nice against dwarves. So I might do that. I might also go with uh, just regular orcs. Then I will probably give them hand weapon and shield. 
and some black orcs. So it's, it's probably going to be either the black orcs or the big ones, depending on the points and how they go. Um, but yeah, ma mainly what I do is I select the units that I would like to play, that I think are fun to play, and then start with the command with the uh, uh, HQ models, uh, to use a 40k term, the, uh, the characters, that's the word I'm looking for. Start with those, and then afterwards I will fill out the rest with the units that I I need and that I uh, I want, or maybe I think I need, or but maybe don't. And it's, it's usually a lot of uh, scratching out involved there as well. Uh, I know some people like to use Battlescribe. I've used it a couple of times, like in, in a digital army builder. But most of the time I use just pencil and paper. I What I do is I make an army list, and I might even make this list on the computer uh, just to, to quickly, uh, say in Excel, to quickly calculate the points values. But after I've made that list, I usually take a, a piece of paper or I make a print of the back of the 6th edition army book roster sheet. Um, I haven't re really used the 5th edition roster sheets yet. I know I have a couple of those. But I also uh, would rather not use up too much of the stuff that's out of print. Uh, that's just uh, maybe it's just silly old me thinking that uh, these things are worth more if you don't use them. Not worth in the sense of they they are worth more money, which of course is also true. But yeah, it's it's just um, I'm a bit reluctant to use stuff that after using it will be uh, will be useless or gone forever and uh, this this is something that's is just part of my character that's something that's been part of my character f since forever i know i remember getting a, uh, a crypto puzzle book uh, when i was still in primary school uh, with, like with this those crypto uh, crosswords puzzles for kids and instead of making the puzzles in the book, I asked my father to make copies of it so I wouldn't have to write in the book, which is, of course, totally ridiculous and uh, something that that nowadays I wouldn't do. But that was the logical thing to do for me back then. And my father worked at a, uh, at a school, at a, uh, at a college, so he had access to a copier and uh, back in those days uh, in my high school days i asked him also for several of my friends army books to uh, make copies of them so i had a lot of these black and white copies of the vampire counts book and the dwarves and uh, um, some of the other books there so uh, of course nowadays i have them all in their original shape so that's um, that's a lot better uh, the books are in color and there's a lot of stuff there that's uh, especially painting stuff that you don't really get from copies and then even copies are sometimes just 
skewed a little bit or some words are not completely legible so uh, yeah I'm way happier with those original books than I was with the copies I still use the copies however because they have all been copied uh, one-sided that was back in the day before people became environmentally conscious I guess so the backs of these books are all clear white paper and that's really good, uh, really handy if you want to have some um, some paper to write stuff on that you need to remember quickly or something like note paper, notepad paper. I'm I'm thinking of the Dutch word, but I can't really think of a good English word. But yeah, like a like a notepad. Um, and and that's how I'm using those books nowadays. So uh, they are slowly getting thinner, one sheet at a time. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, yep, let me see if I can get this here. I, I, I'm working also at the moment on my uh, Nurgle Chaos guy. Uh, the, the Nurgle Chaos Champion. I was trying to glue his hands on, but I didn't really pay attention too much that's also one of those mistakes that I make so that you don't have to make them always measure and and and, and f uh, test fit dry fit before you put on glue because way too often I think ah, that's going to fit I put on glue and then it doesn't fit and uh, then I have to uh, scrape it all off again and see if I can get my fingers to not stick together but yeah there we go at least it's it fits now so let's see if the uh, um, yeah I think, I think this will work this is the uh, the Nurgle champion that's got a uh, what is it is it's like a, a sword but it's got a a longer shaft like a spear but also not a, not a, quite a spear. Uh, it's about as wide as the body. And at the end of the spear shaft, there is a ball and chain. So this is one of those weapons where you will probably hurt yourself way more often than you will hurt the enemy. But as a Nurgle character, you will have extra toughness, so that probably won't matter that much. And uh, this is one of those weapons where the uh, he's holding it in both hands and the weapon was separate so you have to make sure both hands fit into the model at the same time when this is a single piece i don't really mind it that much but there are also some pieces like for example the plastic black orcs the uh, uh, what are they called the art boys i'm not sure if they're still for sale but uh, i got a, a couple of those and if you want to assemble those with uh, with, with great weapons then you will have the torso of the orc you will have the left arm with uh, which is separate or maybe the right arm I don't remember and then you have the other arm which is attached to the axe and um, both of the hands are molded on there uh, the first time I, I did a model like that was I believe the 6th edition plastic orc boar chariots where you have a similar construction you have a spear with one arm attached and one hand 
and uh, the other arm uh, ends at the shoulder and ends at the wrist and you have to make sure all three of these pieces uh, both of the arms and uh, the torso line up correctly there's a lot of test fitting there and a lot of trying to regulate the bout with glue if you have uh, plastic glue you can do that a little bit so i have uh, Long ago, bought a couple of tu tubes of those uh, of this uh, Ravel plastic glue. Uh, these are the the blue ones with the yellow cap, and they got a needle on the end, which is really handy for applying stuff to small areas. And what I always have with these glues is that they they clog up, they clog up the needle. And then a friend of mine said, "Well, uh, glue is flammable, you know." So what I also have on my desk is a cigarette lighter. And every time my plastic glue clogs up, I just uh, light it up and, and burn off the excess glue that's stuck inside the, the, the needle. And then it will work for a little while and uh, then afterwards it will cool down again and, and clog up again. So sometimes I have to do that a couple of times during a single, single hobby session. But, uh, well, if it works, it works. And um, a friend of mine once said, if it's stupid and it works, it ain't stupid. So I think that goes for a lot of stuff uh, in, in that's, that's hobby-related. And I have a lot of things that I use that are just everyday items, like uh, laundry pins. Uh, laundry pins are great for... Uh, holding stuff up if you have for example a, a miniature that you glued and, and you have to hold it in a certain position you can hold it up with laundry pins or if you are a little bit more inclined to spend money on that you have those uh, those paint handles and, and stuff like that uh, I have one of those well, it's not a paint handle but it's a uh, it looks a bit like like those games. Uh, it's from Games Workshop. But it looks like one of those paint handles, but it's got two uh, arms on either side with which ending claws, and you can position those arms in such a way that it will hold a part of the miniature, and you can uh, clamp the base in the bottom of it, and you can use that to hold it in place while the glue is drying. So that's also a a tip. Uh, another tip I saw, but I haven't tried out myself, is to use an accelerant for super glue, because otherwise, especially with metal parts, gluing metal parts together, you might have to use. Uh, it will take a little bit of time uh, sitting in the same position. I I usually don't mind. I I usually have something on, like uh, a YouTube video in the background, or I have my computer sitting on my desk. And I, my workspace is in front of my computer, so I just use my computer as a uh, as a television. I then usually put on some YouTube videos or a podcast or something, and I can just sit there and, and see what's happening um, without having to worry too much about uh, doing something else at the moment. Although, if you do value your time, you might try to use one of those things or both of them. Um, yeah, well, we're coming up on an hour. Actually, we're over an hour now. I would like to know before I leave you what you 
think of uh, an episode like this? Is, is this something that you are interested in? Some hobby tips? Uh, there are probably a lot more that I have that I haven't gotten around to sharing yet. Is this something that you would like? Or is, if I think like, this is uh, something that I would rather learn from myself through YouTube, which is a source that wasn't around when I started with the hobby. So if you, uh, I think hobbyists, new hobbyists today are in a much better position for sources of information and for alternatives in, in terms of uh, paints and glues and stuff like that. Uh, but they are also uh, off in a worse situation in terms of simply the prices for the books and the miniatures. So, yeah, that's... Um, you probably don't need this podcast to to tell you how to do your hobby stuff. But is this something that you would like me to share on a little bit more or not? Just let me know. And there's also something that I'd like to know your opinion about. And that's a plan that I have. Um, and this plan is, uh, I might have already mentioned it on the podcast before, this plan is to, at some point in the future, basically go through the entire history of Warhammer Fantasy. And I'm not talking about the history of uh, the in-game history, starting with the creation of the world and the arrival of the old ones, but I'm talking about the history of the game itself. Uh, so... For example, you have in 1983 the first edition of Warhammer Fantasy that came out. And what I would do then is I would start there with first edition fantasy, talk a little bit about the the set, what's in the box, what are the rules, what are the things that you uh, will probably run into when playing this game. And then from there, take it to White Dwarf and use White Dwarf as a sort of guideline to, to see what has been happening in the months since then. And then uh, which, articles, uh, which articles are there for Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, I, I, would, I would stay with Warhammer Fantasy. I wouldn't branch off into 40k or something like that. Although I would probably also talk a little bit about fantasy-related games such as uh, Warmaster and, and Mordheim and uh, Man of War whenever they were released. Uh, also a little bit about the novels that were released and when they were released there have been a lot of Warhammer Fantasy books, a lot of novels and uh, also some anthologies. There's a, uh, a great podcast I know I've mentioned a couple of times uh, called the uh, Old World Fiction Podcast, which is uh, going through those old stories, those old books, and uh, reading the stories and giving also a little bit of a literary analysis of them. So I can highly recommend uh, looking that one up, the Old World Fiction podcast uh, that's the one that you will want to take a look at but uh, yeah that, that's that's basically my plan and the reason the big reason why i haven't started it yet is because it will take a lot of re reading um now i don't mind reading but i don't always have the time to do a lot of reading 
And I'm also afraid that I won't be able to keep up the momentum. Because in the beginning you only have Warhammer Fantasy 1st Edition. And then you get uh, some articles in White Dwarf over the years, not too many. But then very quickly you will also get uh, Warhammer 2nd Edition, Warhammer 3rd Edition, a lot more articles there. And then you get all those novels released, you get 4th edition, you get the supplements, you get the the extra games. Uh, might even go a little bit into Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which is one of those related games. Um, I think this, this can really slow st- things down a little bit, where it will take an entire episode to just talk about one thing that's in White Dwarf and, and, and what's been released uh or maybe just, just one issue of White Wolf, what was being released during this time. So I'm not sure yet if I want, if, if this is something that's going to be uh, pleasant to listen to, or that people are interested in. I also very much would like to keep up the other things that we've been doing so far, just the... Uh, Uh, The deep dives that we're doing. There's still a lot of things that we can talk about. But yeah, this this is something that's been on my mind for a little while longer. And before I do this as something that's basically just by me, for me, I would like to know if this is something that you, as our regular listener, would be interested in, in doing. Well, I'm going to leave you uh, there Think about it. Let me know. You can reach me uh, by uh, by email, uh, wargamesorchard at gmail.com. Uh, you can reach us on Instagram, on Facebook at the uh, Wargames Orchard. Uh, you can drop me a message on Facebook, uh, Gertjan van Heugde, if that's something that you can remember and pronounce. And if not, you will probably uh, you can you can find me in the Wargames Orchard uh, Warhammer Orchard Facebook group. So yeah, I'm um, uh, curious about that and that idea and if that's something that uh, people would be interested in. That's going to be it for today. Thank you very much for listening and as always, have a great week. Thanks for listening. You can connect with us on Instagram or email us at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard. Know ye now, the time of mortals has come to an end.